Um, as Father Alex mentioned, it's, it's the first Sunday of Epiphany. And, you know, the, the word Epiphany kinda is, is, is kind of is that aspect of something that wasn't understood is now understood. Something that was concealed is now revealed. And, and we see at the baptism of Jesus, this is one of those key events associated with Epiphany, is, is the revelation of Jesus um, as the Messiah. And with that, you know, one of the things we think of as a New Testament concept, something that was, you know, seems to be revealed, um, is this aspect of the Great Commission. We're called to go into all nations to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all peoples. Uh, we're most common, most familiar with the one from Matthew 28. Uh, um, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Um, but just like Jesus, you know, it wasn't that Adam, um, Adam sinned and all of a sudden God goes, oh no, what am I going to do? Oh, wait a second. Okay, we can send Jesus. That's the plan. You know, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And so just in the similar way that, you know, know, we are not in God's plan B, we're in plan A, that the Great Commission was God's plan A from the very beginning. And in Isaiah chapter 42, we see a beautiful picture of this because, you know, it's, it's actually an Old Testament prophecy referring to this very new, you know, this gospel reading that we actually read. And in this, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus's ministry, how he is for the weak, for those, the oppressed, for those who are in darkness. And, but with that, we see this aspect where this is not just for the Jewish people. Uh, There's two references in this passage um, I particularly like the one in verse 6 where he calls to him of saying, of Isaiah chapter 42 verse 6, of saying, um, you will be a light to the Gentiles or a light to the nations. And anytime the word the nations is used in the Old Testament, that is a reference to the non-Jews, to the, you know, to the, you know what we think of Gentiles, they would have thought of as goyim. Um, is the word. And, and basically, God is saying from the very beginning, you know, in the Old Testament, that Jesus was going to be sent in order to be this light to the Gentiles. And Paul talks extensively how this mystery of God, this, this epiphany of the gospel for all nations uh, was being revealed through him in a special way. And um, it was even, this was such a novel idea to the Jews in some ways that in uh, that they the, the apostles before Jesus ascended wasn't weren't ready for it Jesus said that uh, the Holy Spirit will come and he'll reveal to you truths that you're not ready for yet and in Acts chapter 10 we see this truth unfolding that the Gentiles could be saved uh, Acts chapter 10 takes place in the house of Cornelius and this was a, a Roman soldier who lived amongst the Jews, who worshipped the one true God, and who God sends Peter to, to share the gospel with, that him and his household might be saved. And with that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, the, you know, Peter, when, when God is preparing for him for this, he gives Peter this vision of a sheet coming down with all these unclean animals, and Peter's saying, no, Lord. You know, and anytime you say the words, no, Lord, <laughs> to God, you, you should know there's something not quite right. And, um, 
But basically, God was preparing his heart, and it was such a, this crazy idea that Peter's like, no, this, hey, this isn't true. This can't be, I've been, you know, I've stayed clean all my life. I, I can't do this. But it is God's heart, God's vision, and God's passion, you know, from the very beginning. You know, not just the Jews were in Adam, but all of the nations were in Adam. And with that, though, is in, in Isaiah 42, excuse me, Isaiah 42, I lived in England for a while, so Isaiah pops out of my mouth once in a while. Um, in um, Isaiah chapter 42 is also, though, this exclusivity of God. And, and we kind of lose it a little bit because um, the name of God, Yahweh, is translated as the Lord in our Bibles. Anytime you see the and then capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you know that that's actually God's name is being used. And so in scriptures such as um, verse 5 where it says, thus says God the Lord, it actually says, thus says God Yahweh. Or in um, you know, verse 8, he says, you know, we have in our translation it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. That kind of doesn't make sense because he's actually saying, I am Yahweh, that is my name. And he's saying, you know, he's not some ambiguous God, just choose whatever name you want, worship whatever you want, call it God, and that's God. He's saying, no, 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 that is not the situation. I am a specific person. You know, if I wanted to believe that Father Alex was a, a woman, five foot two, red hair, you know, and, you know, from Africa, it wouldn't change anything about him. You know, he is who he is. My belief in him doesn't change him. And it's the same way with God. And he, in verse 8, he's saying, you know, I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. And, you know, in, in the church, there's this aspect where um, I, there's uh, Canon Mark Eldridge, you know, he, he used to pastor the church, uh, one of the churches in, in Jacksonville, now serves with the Anglican, American Anglican Council, really well articulated that for a lot of us, we have what um, he refers to as a practical universalism. Meaning we say we believe the gospel is the only way, but the way we live our lives is we're, we're banking on this idea that, well, maybe hopefully somehow, some way other than the gospel, people will come to, to be in heaven. And... You know, our ministry actually started out, our founder, K.P. Yohannan, when God broke his heart afresh, he spent three months searching through the scriptures, trying to find a way to believe that there was some way other than Jesus Christ by which men can be saved. But, you know, there's the scriptures like Peter saying, and they say, how can we save you? Peter says, you know, uh, there's no name under heaven by which men can be saved other than Jesus Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he literally spent those three months, he literally cried every day, his heart being broken over the truth that all these people who have been unreached with the gospel have no hope of salvation. You know, the, you know God says really clearly, you know, maybe, maybe you think, oh, well, they're good people, but they're worshiping carved idols. And God says, no, I, that's not me. They're not worshiping me. They're worshiping something else. And God gave his son not to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. And, and so Jesus, you know, gave his life for this salvation. And then in 
the book of Acts, the way it begins, I love how it begins because Luke starts off and he says, you know, a most excellent Theophilus, you know, my last book, I wrote to you all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Basically saying, you know, the, the book of Luke, what, that was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And then as he writes the book of Acts, he's saying, let me tell you what Jesus continues to do. And we see that, you know, in, in here in Acts chapter 10, as Jesus, you know, is propelling the apostles to do things that they don't quite understand or want to do because Jesus' heart is for these people to hear about him, to know him, to spend eternity with him. And he's continuing that same ministry today. Uh, you know, in our world today, as I mentioned, <clears throat> there's somewhere around 2 billion people still waiting to hear about Jesus for the very first time. Uh, India, the primary country we minister in, there's over 2,400 unreached people groups still waiting to be reached with the love of Christ. Um, I, I think Father Alex said that something you've, you've been praying for the Kazakhs for like 10 years. That's just one people group, you know, millions of people. But literally, you know, thousands are waiting. In the Indian subcontinent, that region, there's still 500,000 villages without their first parish. And missiologists calculate that somewhere around 80,000 people will die today without ever hearing the gospel. Every time your heart beats, you can count somebody who just went into an eternity apart from Christ. That's the world we live in. And it's not to overwhelm us, but to, to help us realize that Jesus is continuing his work and wants to continue it through us. And to help you understand this world, it's not like just a poorer version of America. It's a completely different world. Uh, you know, poverty is it's a total different reality where, um, you know, there's this thing called day laborers. Like we kind of see in the Bible where literally millions of men work, wake up every morning uh, to, and are going to go to the street corner to see if they can find work. And if they can't find work, they can't feed their family that day. But, you know, if we were to step out on, on 8th, is it 8th Avenue? 8th Avenue out here. And this was in Asia. You know, our, we were magically transported to Asia somehow. The very first thing you would notice is all the people, right? They're just, you know, just people everywhere. You know, people from Asia come, and one of the first questions, they, they'll, they'll ask, you know, they'll finally lean over to you at some point and whisper, like, where are all the people at? Like, where'd they go? You know, this is a city, right? There's, there's no people. And, but, and then you, you start to drive, you know, the, the smells are, are totally different. Uh, there's dust, you, you, know, you realize it's not just cars on the road, but it can be, you know, there'll be cows and there'll be carts and rickshaws and all, you know, all different, everything you can possibly imagine all along the road. But then, you, you know, you, you drive for hours and you never lose sight of people. And you'll see these carved idols that are mentioned in Isaiah 42 along the roads and people offering sacrifices to them, hoping for some um, help from, the, from those gods. But I remember the day when I realized I had been driving for three hours and I hadn't seen one sign of Christianity that whole time. Not one church, nothing. And it's really common for our missionaries, you know, they're anxious to share the gospel with people. So the, and, I, and I've witnessed this with my own eyes where they come to a village and you ask, do you know Jesus? And the person stands there, thinks about it, very sincere. Says, well, I, I know everybody in my village. I've lived here my entire life and your, your friend doesn't live here. But if you go down to the next village, I, th I think Jesus might live there. No idea 
who Jesus is, that he ever walked the face of this earth. 500,000 villages just like that. Two billion people still waiting. But as I said, Jesus is continuing his ministry. You know, Peter was considered the apostle to the Jews because he was, the, he was a very Jewish man. But Paul was the, the apostle to the Gentiles because not only was Paul Jewish, so he could understand and take in all the, the, the teachings and reality of the faith, but he was also a Roman citizen. So he understood the Romans as well. So he was great at being able to communicate, understanding where people were at and then communicating to them where they were at. And as I said, as, a, as an organization, we've never, we've never sent Westerners. We're, we're all for Westerners going. You know, if, if I could get everybody in this room to go, um, Pastor, or Father Alex might be a little upset with me, but you know, I, would, I think that'd be great. Let's, let's send everybody over. <laughs> and so, but you know, the, um, but for us, as you know, you're, you're dealing about 500,000 villages just in this one region alone. We can't send enough Western missionaries to reach them, especially if you consider there's no such thing as a missionary visa to these countries where the unreached people are. Uh, you know, right now, all the missionaries have been getting kicked out of China for like the last five or six months, all the foreign missionaries. Um, and it's just, you know, India has gone from 37th worst country to be a Christian into 10th in the last two years as far as the persecution indexes go. It's just getting harder and harder and harder. But these people live, you know, Christians live in these countries. And we have over 50 seminaries throughout Asia where we train them for three years and to be, you know, trained as missionaries and to go out and to reach their people with the gospel. And when we send them out, they're, they're sent out with what's called a one-way ticket, meaning they're literally going out to die um, if need be, in order to reach their village with the gospel. And I remember being, uh, serving in our headquarters, um, church headquarters in India, we'd get, we'd get prayer requests all the time, please pray for, you know, and they'd list a woman and her children. Uh, her, her husband was killed last night. Um, you know, please pray for them. And I remember one time we're, we're there and they said, you know, please pray for so-and-so and her children. Uh, brother so-and-so was killed yesterday. And all of a sudden just went silent. Everybody started crying because that brother had just been sent out from that, that office six months earlier, and now he was with the Lord. And um, I remember one missionary had this big, bulgy scar across his forehead, and the bishop was sharing about how in the village where he was at, um, some anti-Christians had come and actually tried to crack his skull open with a rod, and they, they cracked his skull, and uh, the, the scar was from where the stitches, and and he was talking about all the trouble and the persecution he was going through. And, and, um, but then, you know, and the missionary is sitting there all kind of calm and quiet, you know, listening. And the bishop says, well, we decided it's too, it's too dangerous for to send him back there. So we're going to send him someplace else. And all of a sudden the missionary, he begins to cry. And says, please don't send me somewhere else. I'm convinced now more than ever that those people need to hear about Jesus. Please send me back to my village. And... It's, you know, I, I don't know as for a fact, but statistically, we probably had somewhere, you know, two or three uh, parishes at least where a mob of anywhere from 50 to 100 people r broke into the church today, dragged the pastor out to um, intimidate and persecute the church. And at any given time, we typically have 20 or 30 missionaries in jail. But they go forth anyway because they know what they've been saved from. I remember 
I was talking to one of our leaders, and, you know, we're a missionary sponsorship organization, so we encourage people to sponsor missionaries, kind of like, you know, Compassion encourages people to sponsor children. And I had a missionary profile. I knew this, this guy was the leader of that missionary. I said, do you know this, brother? And the, the leader looks at him. His name was Father Johnny, and he starts, he starts to laugh. He goes, yeah, I know that, brother. And I said, well, what's so funny? He goes, oh, he's a super timid brother. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, can you believe it? He actually cried the first time he was beaten. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, like, okay. Um, but being beaten was so normal for them that they could talk about it in that kind of manner. And so, but like, as we said, Jesus is continuing his ministry regardless. At one of our synods, we had one of our missionaries, and he was walking along, he was holding his back and, and rubbing his legs, and it was obvious he was a lot of pain. And the, the, one of the leaders pulled, called him over. He says, brother, he says, come here. He says, he says, let me pray for you. Were you beaten? And the missionary comes over to him. He says, no. He says, uncle, yesterday I had to stand in icy cold waters and baptize 88 people. He said, oh, praise the Lord. We'll pray for you. God will heal you. And you go back to your ministry. He said, please do, because tomorrow I have to baptize 133 more. It's an amazing time of harvest. You know, in, in Asia right now. We're, by God's grace, as just our church alone, we're seeing over three new parishes established every single day in places previously unreached with the gospel. One of my favorite ones or situations was up in northern India, a state called Uttar Pradesh. Am I, am I being recorded? Okay, well, I'll, I'll change his name. So, synonym, Father Hubert. Um, <laughs> He uh, worked in a state called Uttar Pradesh, which is, you know, it's the largest state of India population-wise, 200 million people. If it was his own country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world. Um, in 2010, it was estimated 750 unengaged people groups just in this one state alone. And Father Hubert was um, called to this village. It was known as a Dalit village. Or, you know, we, we, we've heard, maybe you've heard the name Dalit. A lot of us might recognize that term from, as untouchable, the untouchables of India. Um, but in, in Hinduism, there's a caste system, and where it's like social classes. Wherever you're born, you're locked into. It determines where you live, what jobs you have, you know, you can do, so on and so forth. And, and, uh, and Father Hubert was called to this Dalit village. And the Dalits, they're the, they're the bottom of the caste system. And, and they're actually, technically, they're below the caste system because they're kind of subhuman is how they're considered. And, um, and this village, you know, that it was, it was just, a, just a dirty, despicable place in a lot of ways. It was this base for this group, this, this, uh, group of gang members, they, you know, they were referred to as guntas. And uh, there was open sewage running through the, the village, which means like people just defecate wherever and, and things like that. And, and the houses weren't done. And, and you know, imagine a slavery, you know, like where you yourself believe you're subhuman because of what you've been told since the beginning of time. And these people, they're... they're sense of self-worth was so bad like the husbands a lot of the houses weren't even finished because their mindset was like well if my wife and children get rained on what's the big deal it's not like they're human you know it's almost like their thought was like almost like it's like cattle getting rained on kind of thing and so father hubert goes to this village and he finds that um you know just there's just all kinds of disease in this place. And he realizes a lot of it's because they're drinking polluted water. So the, their, there was a, their main source of water was a, a river, or maybe about half the width of this, um, this sanctuary. And that's where they got their water. And who knows who dumped what in it, you know, north of them uh, or upriver. And so the first thing he did was get some uh, water filters and then get a well, a well dug. 
in that village. And, the, um, and people were like, oh, praise the Lord, your God healed us. And Father Hebert was like, no, the, the clean water healed you. And they said, but yeah, but your God gave us the clean water. And they had never experienced the idea of a God that would love them, you know, that would care for them and actually do something for them in that way. And Father Hubert began to pray for the people, you know, seeing people healed from sickness through prayer, casting out demons. And funny, it was, it was kind of funny because there was one lady left, um, or he, we were walking through, he points out this lady, she was grinding spices, and he says, yeah, this woman here, she's one of two people left with a demon. And uh, he's, he said, she's, she doesn't want to let go of her, her demon because it can actually uh, predict the future. And so she likes the ability to predict the future. He says, why don't you cast it out of her? <laughs> like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, I'll just, I'll go ahead and do that. And prayed for her, and she, you know, she manifested signs of, of being, you know, demon-possessed, but didn't cast it out of her. But anyway, the... Um, uh, the real breakthrough for Father Hubert happened when um, one of the wives of one of these gang members came to know the Lord. And she goes home, and her husband's looking at her going, like, what in the world happened to you? And finally he asks her, he's like, what happened? And she tells him, I got a new heart. He goes, a new heart? How did you get a new heart? She goes, well, Jesus gave me a new heart. And he asks her, can Jesus give me a new heart? She says, yeah, come talk to Father Hubert. He'll tell you all about Jesus. Father Hubert shares the gospel. He gives his life to Christ. And, he, and Father Hubert tells him, now you go to your buddies in jail and share with them about Jesus. And he goes, and they're looking at him with the same way he looked at his wife, like, what in the world happened to you? And he says, I got a new heart. And they're like, how did you get a new heart? He said, well, Jesus gave me a new heart, and he can give you a new heart too. Now let me bring the priest to come and share about Jesus. And they said, okay. And Father Hubert comes, share the gospel, and almost all the gang members give their life to Christ. And pretty soon, almost the entire village had come to know the Lord, and, and is totally transformed. You know, all the sewage cleaned up, the houses finished, you know, even like scripture was, you know, painted on the sides of the houses, happy Christmas, and, you know, things like that. And uh, the, the transformation was so complete that nearby village leaders began to go, okay, what happened? And they literally asked, like, what happened to this village? And people told them, well, Jesus transformed our village. And not knowing who Jesus was, they said, well, can Jesus come to our village and do the same thing? I said, well, ask the priest. So Father Hubert goes and shares the gospel with them. And now we've seen five entire villages completely transformed in this way, just through Father Hubert's ministry alone. And when I was there, I was with the, um, the, di- uh, the, uh, um, the diocesan secretary um, who um, was basically, you know, overseeing the, 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 the diocese at that time. And, um, when I, and I saw the most amazing thing where... Uh, I didn't know there was this man there, um, and he was super intense. But then as I watch, he comes over, and he kneels before this priest. And he begins to beg. And I ask, what's going on? And uh, the translator was listening. He says, oh, he's a village leader, and he's begging uh, Father to send a missionary to his village. And Father Father Hubert turns to me. And says, uh, he looks at me, he says, I've got, I got 20 more village leaders just like this guy. Now the amazing thing was, as I sat there and watched this priest tell him, I'm sorry, we can't send you any missionaries. You have to wait, just like the other 20. And the reason why, and we're literally turning missionaries down from our seminaries. And the reason why is because we don't have people to send them. 
And by that, I'm referring to Romans chapter 10, where Paul makes this amazing promise. He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he goes on to ask this question, how can they call upon him they've not believed in? How can they believe in him they've never heard of? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they be sent? One of the greatest need for laborers in the harvest right now is is for people to come alongside our brothers and sisters who are serving on the front lines and to pray for them and to help them to get to these unreached villages. And, you know, for us, you know, maybe there's people in this room, like I said, that are called to go. Maybe God's calling you through this time or been working in your life to, to call you to give your life to reach people who've never heard of Jesus. Please do that. You know, we're looking for people all the time to come to our office in Texas and to serve alongside in our office in Texas. You know, we're, one of the things we're seeing is a lot of retired Anglicans now are um, giving their lives to, to serve with us. And so if the Lord's called you to do that, you know, come talk to me afterwards. But for the majority of us, the way we're going to impact people who've never heard of Jesus is by becoming senders. And that's not about just sending money, but that's about having a gospel-centered life, having a life where Jesus is an active part of your family in which that you are praying for, you are thinking about, you are living your life for the sake of people who've never heard of Jesus before. And I want to encourage you, you know, just four simple steps. The first one is this, is just, is when we go home, take a look at your life and say, what what is my life really about? Am I living for this world and then, and then Christianity is just kind of tacked on to it? Or is Christ's life and ministry the center and then the world, you know, my life in the world tacked alongside of that? And allow the Lord to speak to you. And the second thing, in order to help you do that, I brought two books with me. Uh, they're free. If you want to give a donation, that's great, but it's not required. I just want to put something in your hands that will help you. The first book is Revolution in World Missions. Uh, this was written by our founder, now the Metropolitan of our church, the head of our church. And, um, and basically, it, you walk through life with him as God broke his heart over 80,000 people dying every single day. And it takes you to this unreached world and, and makes reaching them, like it just, it just brings it into your life. It makes it really practical. And so it's, it's an absolute great book. This book's the reason I'm in missions today and encourage everybody to get a copy to read it. We, we, like I said, give it away free. We just ask that you read it. Uh, the second book I have, Road to Reality, Coming Home to Jesus from the Unreal World. For me, this is the second most powerful book I've read um, next to the Bible. And so for me, this is really like if you're at that place, you're saying, I, yes, I want to make a difference, but I have no idea where to start. I, I have no idea how to, tra- you know, to let Jesus transform my life. This book will walk you through that very practically, starting with your heart and you know, then going through different aspects of your life. It's a really powerful book. Somebody once said it, it's, it's absolutely free, but it'll cost you everything. And so the third thing I want to encourage you is, is to begin to pray for the lost world. And one of the most practical things you can do along those lines is to get a world map in your home. Put it in a prominent place in your home and, and as a reminder of two billion people waiting to hear about Jesus for that very first time. And if this is a little too radical for you, I've got these little ones, you know. <laughs> you can be this closet radical. Nobody has to know you care about, you know, people without the gospel or whatever. But, but get a reminder of 80,000 people dying every day without the gospel. And allow the Lord to, to break your heart over that. And then also with that is, um, you know, get, subscribe to news services and, and, you know, and listen to how you can be praying. Rather than, like, I, I'm, I'm so tired of all the news about the U.S. politics. I'm like, tell me, like, real news. How do I pray for the lost world? And there's a great website um, called missionsbox.org. That it's the best website I know of as far as keeping you 
up to date on how to pray for mission organizations, for missions around the world. So just you know, subscribe to that, go to that, and get that. Um, and then the last thing I want to encourage you to do is, is to consider sponsoring one of our national missionaries. Um, I've got a bunch of these profiles out in, in, the, um, in the Narthex. You can go out, pick out a missionary, uh, take them home with you, sponsor them for $30 a month in your prayers, and you begin to reach a village that otherwise would go unreached with the gospel by doing that. And you don't need any money or anything like that today. This isn't about getting anything from you. Uh, but in your bulletin, there should have been a card, and at the top it says, yes, I want to help. Starting now, prayerfully help sponsor X number, or, um, uh, or so my, here's my first monthly pledge. Don't worry about that part. But um, you don't need any money. You can just sign up, put your contact details come out, get a missionary, and uh, begin to sponsor a missionary, or sponsor a missionary, reach a village. And for me, basically, this is the most practical thing I know that anybody can do to start reaching people who've never heard of Jesus today. Um, basically, by sponsoring a missionary, it means a, uh, an entire village that'll get reached with the gospel by your sending that missionary. And, um, and you can sponsor two, three, five, ten. I actually have a friend who sponsors 116 uh, missionaries. But whatever the Lord would put on your heart along those lines, please do. And, you know, whatever the Lord speaks to you today, my brothers and sisters, I really want to encourage you. You know, Jesus' ministry isn't over yet. There really are two billion people with a B waiting to hear the gospel. And I don't like the fact that the Bible is very clear that there's one way by which men can be saved, and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I are called by Christ to allow him to continue his ministry through us. You and I, you know, Jesus, when he was here, he said he was the light of the world. But now he says that we are the light of the world. We are his means for reaching these people. And I just want to, just if I could beg you even, do something to allow Jesus to make you his vessel to reach people who've never heard of Jesus before. And this, I wanted to come to this church because I know you're doing that. And I want to encourage you, keep pressing on in that. But don't become comfortable. Embrace the cross. Take the next step that Jesus would have you. And Lord willing, we'll see Jesus come back sometime soon. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you all. Thank you.